Now, uh, I'm going to apologize ahead of time for not um, having a Mother's Day sermon. Uh, but <laughs> it's, uh, okay, uh, maybe it is a Mother's Day sermon. You mothers, you need to listen to this, this message really hard. Okay, anyway, I, we continue our series in When Christianity and Culture Clash. And um, I, uh, my, my verse, that what I'm bouncing off of this morning is Genesis chapter 2-7. And today, we're going to talk about the sanctity of life. Now, I, I think that does apply to mothers because mothers have babies and, 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 and that's, that's, life is precious. And that's what we're talking about, how precious life is. And mothers are a big part of that. So in 2021, you know, these are some, some pretty sobering statistics. In 2021, over 10,000 Canadians decided to die with medical assistance. Medical assistance. Okay? And so isn't that like kind of an oxymoron? Right? I mean, it's kind of like... It, it, it's interesting that the statistics don't show assisted dying as a cause of death. They don't, they don't say that that's the cause. They don't record that as a cause of death. Now, uh, I, I did a little bit of investigating, and if we include, um, if, if it was included, it would rank number five or number six as to the cause of death in Canada. Number five or six as, as far as the leading cause. Now, and, and it's growing. From 2016, when medical assisted dying became law in Canada, over 31,000 have chosen to end their lives this way. And that statistic goes to 2021. Um, I, we don't have last year's statistics yet. Cancer and heart disease and accidents are still number one, two, and three. But if this trend continues, medically assisted dying will be increasing as far as the cause of death in Canada. A recent poll suggests that over 80% of Canadians are in favor of a more relaxed eligibility uh, for those who, who can apply uh, for assisted death. Even among the, the population who identify themselves as Christian, the number is over 80% in agreement with the practice of assisted dying. That, that to me, that is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, and so, uh, the, now, the question of mental illness and uh, mature minors, they want to add that to the list to make it easier for those that have mental illness and that are minors, like below 18 or 19 years old, Minors, considered minors, that want to die. They want to make it easier for them to decide that they can die with medically assisted um, uh, uh, doctors assisting them. Now, uh, Canadians agree that the, um, that number is 65%. Canadians agree that the eligibility should be expanded and, made, and so that it's easier to access. In short, it's believed to be a charter right. It's my right to die if I want to. There are two other causes of death that are at odds with the culture we live in. Suicide and abortion. The line between right and wrong gets pretty fuzzy. 
Or are we influenced more by our culture than we think? Is it really fuzzy? Is that line really fuzzy? Now, there are two... I, uh, if, now, this is a, a quote from Stanley Harawas. Now, he's a, 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 a modern theologian. And he said, if in a hundred years... Christians are identified as the people who don't kill their children or kill their elders. We will have done well. I'm going to read that again. If in a hundred years, Christians are identified as the people who don't kill their children or kill their elders, we will, be, we will have done well. My text is from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. I want to talk about five things this morning. The gift of life, uh, when life begins, when life ends, the gift rejected, and a Christian response. How do we respond to all of this in our culture? Well, the gift of life. Uh, let me uh, Read from Job 33 and verse, chapter 33, verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. This was thousands of years ago that this verse was written. One of the greatest inspirational movies to come out of America is It's a Wonderful Life. Agreed? It is, it's amazing. It's a, it's a great movie. Based on, actually, it's based on a short story written by uh, Philip Van Doren Stern in 1943 called The Greatest Gift. So, and then he couldn't find a publisher for this short story. And so, what he did is he sent 200 copies in the form of a booklet, a 21 page booklet, to his friends at Christmas time. And, and this, is, and this is the gist of the story, his short story. Uh, George Pratt, a man who is dissatisfied with life, uh, contemplates suicide. As he stands on a bridge on Christmas Eve, he is approached by a strange, unpleasantly dressed but well-mannered man with a bag. The man strikes up a conversation and George tells the man that he wishes that he had never been born. The man tells him that his wish has been granted and that he was never born. The man tells George that he should take the bag with him and pretend to be a door-to-door -door brush salesman if anybody addresses him. And so George returns to his town and discovers that no one knows him. Well, his wish came true, right? And his friends have taken different and often worse paths through life due to his absence. His little brother, whom he had saved from death in a swimming accident, perished without George to rescue him. George finds the woman he knows to be his wife to be married to somebody else. He offers her a complimentary upholstery brush but he is forced to leave the house by her husband. Their son pretends to shoot him with a toy cap gun and shouts, You're dead! Why don't you die? George returns to the bridge 
and questions the strange man. The man explains that George wanted more explains that George wanted more when he had already been given the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. George digests the lesson and begs the man to return to his life. The man agrees, tells, and then George returns home and finds everything restored and back to normal. He hugs his wife and tells her that he He'd thought he'd lost her. She is somewhat confused, of course. And he's about to explain, but his hand bumps a brush on the sofa behind him. And without turning around, George knows that the brush was the one that he presented to her earlier. Beautiful short story. It really is brilliant. Uh, incidentally, it was based, this short story was inspired by a Christmas carol written, you know, years earlier, right? So, um, have you ever wished that you'd not been born? Have you ever wished that? And Jeremiah the prophet did. He spoke what God had asked him to speak. He came to God's house and spoke what wasn't popular. The head priest at the temple put him in stocks and made him suffer greatly. He asks God why he didn't die in his mother's womb. He goes on to say, Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame? Jeremiah 20 and verse 9. Or 20 and verse 18. It's okay to question God in these matters, isn't it? It's okay. God's got big shoulders. We can be brutally honest with the Lord. But don't stay there. Don't stay there. In the same chapter, Jeremiah confesses that he tried to keep quiet about what God wanted him to share, but his word was in his heart like a burning fire shut up in his bones. Jeremiah 29. He was exhausted from trying to hold it back. And he just couldn't do it. God had a plan and a purpose for Jeremiah even in his suffering. God had a plan and purpose for his life. His life was a gift. You weren't an accident. You weren't mass produced. You aren't an assembly line product. You were deliberately planned, specifically gifted, and lovingly positioned on the earth by the master craftsman, said Max Lucado. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. And what does our culture believe? Most will say that life is a gift, but when you ask what that really means, they don't seem to know where the gift came from or why it's a gift. Um, it, it means, I mean, yeah, life can be seen as a gift kind of in a kind of romantic way from our culture, but who's the giver? Who gave? Who gave the life? Who gave it as a gift? What is being taught in our schools, in our colleges, and in our universities? What is being taught? That life just happened by chance. It was an accident. 
I was really fortunate to have a Christian biology teacher when I went to high school. And when he started his biology class, when it was, when it was time to teach evolution, what he did is he took out his Bible and read Genesis chapter 1. And he says, now that's what I believe. And he says, but I have to teach this stuff. Right? I, I love that. I love that. I have to teach this curriculum, but this is what I believe. And, and he made, uh, you know, no God. See, what culture believes is if there was no God to gift us life, then there's no accountability. We don't have to be accountable to him. Right? No accountability. And culture certainly isn't accountable to God. Now, when does life begin? There are lots of different opinions as to, uh, as to when life begins. At conception, when a baby's heart starts beating, at five and a half months when the nervous system is developed, or, you know, at birth. There are a lot of opinions, but there aren't a lot of opinions in God's Word. There are not a lot of opinions in God's Word. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Beautiful. It's interesting that according to science, now based on the scientific definition of life, that life starts at conception. That's when it starts, according to science. When a male sperm successfully reaches its destination and fertilizes a female egg, a new cell called a zygote is generated by their union. This zygote is the first stage in the life of a human being. This individual, if all goes well, develops through the embryonic. That's the first eight weeks. The fetal, that's eight weeks to birth stages before being born into the world as a baby. Now, science recognizes four characteristics within the unborn that point to the fact that life begins at conception. Number one, the unborn has DNA, right? And that is distinct from both the mother and the father. It is distinct. That life in the mother's womb is distinct right at conception. The unborn meets the biological criteria for life, growing by reproducing cells, turning nutrients into energy, and can respond to stimuli. That's life by any definition of science. The unborn has a human, um, has a human genetic signature. And then finally, the unborn is an organism, not simply an organ or some tissue. The unborn is an individual whose parts work together to support the whole. That starts at conception. So from a scientific biological standpoint, the unborn is a living human organism. There, there's no question about that at all. Science won't question that. That's what it is. Another interesting passage in the Bible is found in Job chapter 10, verses 10 to 12. I want to read it from the message. Uh, listen as Job describes when life begins for a human being. 
again, Job was written like way, way back, like 3,000, 4,000 years ago, right? Oh, that marvel of conception as you stirred together semen and ovum. What a miracle of skin and bone, muscle and brain. You gave me life itself and incredible love. You watched and guarded every breath I took. That, you, you know, if you thought men and women in the Old Testament were uneducated and ignorant about the human body and science, you'd be wrong, incredibly wrong. This is incredible what Job describes and what Job knew. Absolutely amazing. He would put any of our scientists to shame, I'm sure. Now, what does our culture believe about uh, when life begins? It's obvious and sad that when, what our culture believes. In the past 15 years, there have been over 80,000 abortions in Canada every single year. Over 80,000. And for some years, it's over 100,000. Every single year. Between 80 and 100,000. Why do the unborn have less rights to live than the mothers that are killing their babies? Why do the unborn have less rights? What's the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not kill. God must be outraged at the murder of the unborn. According to Proverbs 6, 16-17, God hates seven things included in that list of seven is this, hands that shed innocent blood. That's one of the things God hates. The unborn are absolutely innocent and helpless, and they are being killed. So when does life end? Then we know that life begins at conception. When does it end? When God created mankind, the only mention of life ending was when God gave instructions to Adam as what he could and could not choose to eat. Man's first job was that of a gardener. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. And so, because of man's rebellion because, and, and sin, death enters the world. Romans 5.18 states this uh, reality. Uh, through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Now, as Ecclesiast uh, Ecclesiastes 3 starts out, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. But as stated in our introduction, the timing of our physical death, note that I'm not talking about spiritual and eternal death here, I'm talking about physical death, the timing of when we take our last breath, this is where Christianity and culture clash. Who gets to decide when you die? Who gets to make that decision? In Acts chapter 13, verse 36, Paul says that David after he'd served God's purpose in his own generation, died. After he'd served God's purpose, David died. 
Job understood that it was God's responsibility to decide. He said, I was naked when I was born, and I will be naked when I die. The Lord gave these things to me, and he has taken them away. And so it's God is the one that chooses when you live and when you die. It's God's responsibility. And then Job says, praise the name of the Lord. That's Job 121. Job's understanding is also expressed in Job 14.5. You've decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live and we will not be given a minute longer. Who decides how long our life is? Who decides when we die? It's God that decides that our culture disagrees. Our culture is playing God they're killing people. They're eliminating people's lives. When God said, thou shalt not kill. In the process of dying, uh, now, now I understand that the process of dying is accompanied by illness and suffering and pain. Does that give mankind a reason to kill and call it mercy? In culture's view, there is no useful purpose for inconvenience or suffering. That's our culture. If you're suffering or if you're inconvenienced by getting pregnant when you don't want to be pregnant, then you can kill that life. That's our culture's view. It's inconvenient for me. I don't want to suffer the financial responsibility. But that's not God's wisdom. God's purpose is often accomplished through suffering. Why do we suffer? Well, suffering is a consequence of sin. That's first of all. When sin entered the world, suffering came with it. We live in a world that is broken and suffering, not part of God's original plan. It's just the result of our own rebellion. And we need to suck it up. Number two, suffering is a tool of sanctification. Now, that's a big word. Sanctification is a big word that means to make holy. When we suffer, God makes us holy. We have the opportunity to become holy. We seek the Lord and invite the Holy Spirit to make positive changes in our life because we're suffering. Now, number three, suffering tests our faith. Someone has suggested that untested faith is un, un, unreliable. James 1, 2, and 3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Amen. Well, what about the gift rejected? Jesus said the thief comes only that he might steal and he might kill and he might destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10.10. 10. Think about that for a minute. Satan is that thief came to kill and destroy what's happening in our culture uh, with the sanctity of life. How many countless people has he whispered in their ear and said that their life isn't worth living, that they would be better off dead? How many? How many people have listened to that lie? It's Satan's lie. He's a thief. And he's come to kill and destroy. And he's doing it in our culture. When someone decides to end their own life, either by assistance or by their own hand, they are rejecting the gift of life that was given to them by the Lord. 
We live in a broken, Christ-rejecting world and it's getting worse by the day. Meanwhile in Canada, the government is making it easier to take advantage of assisted dying to include what they call mature minors, those who have mental disorders, including depression, and those who can't afford to pay their medical bills or pay their rent. God's gift of life being rejected. And again, an entire industry in Canada has sprung up around the government's assisted dying program, which portrays the procedure as gentle and non-threatening. Oh, we will help you die, and we will do it with dignity. A few months ago, there was an outcry because of one funeral home was promoting their services with a video compelling people to come and die. The lady in the video said, Last breaths are sacred. When I imagine my final days, I see bubbles. I see the ocean. I see music. Even now as I seek help to end my life, there is so much beauty. You just have to be brave enough to see it. A 30-second ad that was aired in Canada and it got so much pushback that they took it off. The caption at the end of the video, at the end of the promotion, says, For Jennifer, June 1985 to October 2022, followed by, All is Beauty, in large letters and the company logo and name underneath it. One of the one of the comments below the video on the YouTube reads, as it turns out, the woman talking in this ad didn't want to die and instead wanted help. But Canada's non-existent medical system denied her for years until she got tired of waiting and chose death. And without waiting for her to finish her sentence, Canada approved her death and celebrated it. This ad is disgusting and anybody that approves of it do need some soul-searching. These new death experts, death experts, yes, work with patients and their families and friends, counseling those about to die to dress warmly and hydrate before their deaths and encouraging the bereaved to process the experience through grounding themselves in their bodies, whatever that means or expressing themselves through dance. While the person is dying that you love, they're to dance and have a good time. What is actually going on? The doctor's killing that person. And it's being cloaked in pleasantries and therapeutic language, presumably to make the experience more pleasant for everyone involved. God's gift of life is rejected and disrespected once again. So Christian response. How, you know, I think back to the Christians that were being persecuted in Rome. They couldn't change the government. For, for years, there was no change in government. They, they just had to live in that environment. You know what? We're not going to be able to change this. This is like a big, this is like a big avalanche coming down. We're not going to stop it. 
we can survive it and we but we we can maybe prevent one person from thinking this way from entering and from believing the cultural lies we get one person at a time we can't change our culture but we could maybe change one person so how do we respond how do we respond in such a world well number one is to know the word of god and the god of the word know the word of god and the god of the word know that peter warned the believers of his day and he warns us as well but there were also false prophets in Israel just as there will be false teachers among you they will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them in this way they will bring sudden destruction on themselves many will follow their evil teachings and save shameful immorality and because of these teachers the way of truth will be slandered there are false teachers. This week I, I, I listened to a frustrated pastor whose denomination has accepted the practice of assisted dying. They even have to, they, they even publish a prayer to, 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 to go by the bed, go by the, in that room and, and pray and bless them as they're dying as the doctor's killing them. He was, he was livid wasn't accepting that. And see, what's, what, what is really difficult for believers, for believers that stand on the Word of God, is that there are so-called Christians and there are so-called denominations and so-called churches that are accepting what the culture is dishing out. They're believing the lie. God help us. Number two, we need to remember that trials and suffering have a unique power to deepen our awareness, the awareness of our human frailty and mortality. Like Solomon said, it's better to spend your time at funerals than at festivals, for you're going to die, and it is a good thing to think about it while there's still time. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. Yes, a wise man thinks much of death, while the fool thinks only about having a good time right now. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 2 to 4. Our suffering helps us detach our affection from the things of the world. And if we let it, leads us to a deeper and more uh, dependable connection with our Lord. Indeed, I have heard, I have witnessed, I have heard testimony where painful disabilities have brought people closer to the Lord as a matter of fact, have brought people to salvation because of their suffering. Because they had nowhere else to turn. There were no answers in the culture. There's only answers in Jesus Christ. Number three. We need to remember that Jesus had compassion for the sick and for those with physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. When Jesus had compassion, he always acted. And Paul commands believers to put on compassionate hearts. Colossians 3.12 What a need we have in our culture. What a need and what an opportunity for the followers of Jesus to be His hands and His feet in a world that rejects Jesus and disrespects the gift of life. In that kind of world, we can shine. We can and we absolutely should. 
and we can consistently show a more passionate and a more loving way. Value the life society wants to only throw away. After all, we are created in God's image. So can we change our culture? We're absolutely against culture in this. We can't, we, we can't, we can't agree with it. We can't adopt it. We can't fight it. But we can win one person at a time. We can stand with one person who is suffering. We can, we, we can do that, can't we? God help us to do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word for us today. This is, a, this, in, in our culture, this is huge. And it, our, our culture is getting worse and there are so many people accepting this, thinking that it's, that it's being compassionate. It's not, it's murder. You've said so clearly in your word. And so, Father, we stand with you. And would you help us by your Holy Spirit to identify those that need our help? to be light to them, to be an encouragement to them, to be side by side with them as they go through their difficulties, as they, as they ask their questions. Give us loving and compassionate hearts to respond in a loving and compassionate way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, this uh, benediction. Let us... Uh, okay, this one. And may the love of God be the ocean that you sail on and the grace of God bring you calm in stormy days. May the word of God guide you to your destination and the breath of God speed you safely on your way. God bless you. Amen. Amen.